Takeout is cool, but delivery gets pricey. So, like a phoenix from the ashes, indoor dining is back at Forge Eatery. I use the analogy because the food is fire. It's a new approach to farm the table. No overalls, just dope food. Try my favorites, like the mushroom stew with pine nuts and ricotta, the cornmeal fried happy oysters, and the seared duck breast. Also, ask about the chocolate chip cookie tins. Mini chocolate chip cookies with a dusting of sea salt. Simply delicious. Head on over to ForgedEatery.com to check out the current menu options and make a reservation today. Forged is located at 3520 Chestnut Avenue in Hamden. What's shaking, cats and kittens? I'm Rob Lee from Getting to the Truth in His Art. And this podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Bazaar. Bazaar is a gift shop for those seeking the strange and unusual. Got morbid curiosity? Got an interest in natural history? Bazaar's got you covered. Bazaar specializes in antique medical equipment, jewelry, prints, funerary antiques, and many other morbid gifts. The inventory is ever-changing. I'm wearing a great death's head moth pin, and I'm enjoying this hand-poured candle called Overgrown Cemetery. It's great. It has the studio smelling awesome. Head on over to 3534 Chestnut Avenue in Baltimore. It's in that Hamden neighborhood and see what they got to offer at Bazaar. Tell them Rob Lee sent you. Welcome to Getting to the Truth in His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today's guest is a freelance illustrator from Baltimore who uh, works a lot, never sleeps, and is a great son. <laughs> uh, in between drawing and not sleeping, uh, teaches at the Baltimore Academy of Illustration. We have Alex Fine. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. So thank you. Um, and I've been like following your work. You got great work and I dig it. But I would like to give you the opportunity to um, tell those who are not initiated more about your work and, and describe your work for the five folks. Definitely. Like, so if you look at my work uh, just, you know, with no understanding of illustration or, or basically what I do, um, you probably think of um, it looks like vintage comic book art from the fifties and sixties. And, um, but essentially what I do for a living is um, I get hired by different magazines and newspapers. Um, they send me an article or an essay, and then they'll expect me to uh, communicate that, uh, that writing uh, visually. So whereas fine art, you do work kind of, you know, for yourself or for a gallery, it hangs on a wall, you know, people can enjoy it for different reasons. With um, illustration, it's very specific to communicating uh, um, whoever the writer is trying to communicate or um, it's, it's hard to describe. I know it's like, if I go down to like the, the bare essentials, it's basically the art of communication, but, um, but it could be about anything, politics. Uh, it could be fantasy, sci-fi. It could be basically any, any kind of piece of creative writing. Uh, the illustrator's job is basically to, um, to make a visual to go with it. Got it. That is, um, to me, it's almost like a Rosetta Stone sort of thing, like changing from one media to the other. Definitely. So now you you have a unique style. You touched on kind of the this this fifties. This almost this. Uh, it's not pop art, um, but I, I see some of that in there as far as being being an audience and and, and looking at the work. Um, mm -hmm. Which type of art do you identify with most? So it's kind of funny, you know, uh, as far as pop art goes, the first pop artist I ever got into was Roy Lichtenstein. 
And he was like all about taking uh, comic book panels and blowing them up as paintings. And the cool thing is like there, uh, there'd often be a message in one of the voice bubbles, the speech bubbles, you know? Yeah. And what was cool about that was it was like literally reading his artwork. And uh, I think that translated to me um, because I, I always liked comic books, but I was just like, it's mixing art and a story, like a narrative. Mm -hmm. So um, that led me to get really into uh, posters, like for, for concerts, you know, like uh, rock art. And uh, artists like Frank Kozik and Coop and Alan Forbes were like really big to me mm -hmm. because it was like taking a Lichtenstein and then putting like a bunch of band names on it. And the fun thing about that was, you know, if you knew anything about the bands that they were advertising, you also like could kind of get a sense of what the artist was thinking when uh, when that artist associated the band with the art that they create. So I think um, even at four, almost 42 years old now, I really, really associate myself and relate to uh, band art, you know, like uh, posters and album covers, things like that. I mean, I love doing editorial work, like for newspapers, magazines, political stuff, entertainment yeah. stuff. But when it comes down to it, nothing is better than you know, band art for me. I, I just, I love it. I still do it all the time, even when I'm not doing, you know, my, uh, usually paid work because band art usually doesn't pay that much. A lot of times it's pro bono. Cause I just, I love all the bands that I, I do work for. We, we had this thing with my other podcast where, um, we wanted to do all the live shows that we did, um, in a, in a given mm -hmm. year, we wanted to have whatever our logo was for, for that particular year. So we try to swap it out every year and on the back, just have each one of the, uh, the, the live show dates and venues, almost like a band t-shirt. I was like, this is our tour for this particular year. Yeah, no, that's like a really fun thing to do. I can't tell you how many times someone has contacted me to do like a wedding invite yeah. or like, uh, like, you know, a podcast show where they want me to create art that looks like a band poster, you know, because it's just like, I think everyone loves the way it looks. It, yeah. it makes it makes you feel like, you know, you're doing something that's like a little outside the ordinary, you know, because I mean, that's the thing about playing in bands. It's always been like, you know, counterculture, you know, you see more posters for bands that are playing small dive bars than you do for big arena shows, because, you know, if you're Metallica or or like uh, Lady Gaga or I don't know, I'm trying to think of anyone famous. That's a wide know, spectrum, by the way. <laughs> that's a very wide spectrum. I don't know why I went to Metallica first, but anyway, um, a lot of those acts, I think the posters are more as like a memorabilia piece than they are to advertise because if Lady Gaga is coming to Baltimore, you don't need a poster to find that out. You know, right. that, that show's going to sell out. It doesn't matter. But, but the thing is, um, I think a lot of people at that point actually want a souvenir too. It's something that says like, I went to that. And I think that's why it's so popular with people who aren't in bands too, because it's sort of like, it, it almost like records that moment in history. Mm -hmm. It says like, this happened at this date with these people. And uh, I think that's what I like about band art too. I look through my old files sometimes and I see posters from like the nineties that I illustrated. And I'm just like, wow, that was like, I think about who I was back yeah. then and like where I was as an artist. I can see where I was as an artist, which is really scary too, because my drawing style, let's say it's evolved over the years sure. a little bit, but, uh, but it's, it's sort of like getting tattoos. It's like, it's like a stroll down memory lane when you look at stuff like that. Yeah. The, the, the band, the band shirt, the, the tour shirt, that kind of merch, uh, style of art that's, turned into its own thing where people are using the old, um, I remember like Baltimore arena or the now, uh, Royal farms. I, I remember it was what, like maybe it was a tour that had DMX in it. And, um, mm -hmm. 
my mom, she, she grabbed shirts for my brother and I, and it was just that really, you, you, you have, you know, the type of shirt I'm describing. Yep, it's definitely. just the person that is kind of like a little faded out and, yep, yep. <laughs> and that's come back. And it's like, yeah. you're, you're buying these shirts for $50 because of the design and urban outfitters are throwing it out there. So this kind of timeless nature of one's art and kind of looking at it, nostalgia sells ultimately. And, definitely. and I think, you know, looking back at the, as I was touching on earlier, that fifties, that pop art kind of vibe, that's an mm -hmm. element I think that's, that's in your art that makes it like almost timeless in some ways. Yeah. You know, and it's, um, it's something I, I always was drawn to, you know, that, that kind of like vintage, um, sort of like the art that you would see in advertisements in the fifties and sixties and in the comic books. And it's funny, you know, sometimes you can find yourself looking um, like you're copying that style too. So you have to be careful to kind of put your own modern twist on it a little mm -hmm. bit. So for me, it's like, you know, when I first got out of art school, I was definitely biting the styles of a lot of my favorite artists. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard not to before you really find your voice. Yeah. And, and I think I always tell uh, the students that I teach nowadays um, who are kind of stressed out about finding styles. I'm like, you know, right now, unless you're doing a job for a client, it's a good time to just experiment. Um, um, you know, copy someone else's style, copy a hundred people's styles. And eventually that repetition of, of getting inside the head of different artists sometimes mashes into one unified, you know, hybrid of all of those styles. And then you end up with something that's like uniquely yours because maybe only you're the one who put together all those puzzle pieces. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, you know, when you look at like fifties art, when I say like my work is inspired by it, there was a time when my work just looked straight up. Like it was from like Spider-Man 1965. But, but you know, now I've been influenced. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I've been influenced by so many young artists with like so many more like, you know, relevant modern styles that it, that kind of like, it's almost like there's no choice, but to have that filter into your own work mm -hmm. because you can't help but read magazines and newspapers that are out today. When you see all these new artists and you might say like, Hey, that, that texture is really cool. I might try that in my work just to see how it looks. But when you combine all of these different elements with your existing style too, you find yourself evolving over the years. And I think that's like one of my favorite things about being an illustrator is, is not stagnating, but just always evolving into something else. Evolution is important. And, and, mm -hmm. and the thing, the thing that you touched on that I, I think resonates um, across the board, because I, I see it working for my stuff. Like, I can go back and look at, I, I will listen to podcasts from 2009 when I got started. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like, wow, I was listening to a lot of this particular podcast and mm -hmm. I kind of started taking elements from here, elements from there. And I was like, literally, this is a ripoff. This is, you know, fully, this is a ripoff. And yeah. being able to, I think, take those things and almost Bruce Lee, it like this, the, my style is to have no style. And, mm -hmm. you know, but also that is in itself, you're, you're making your, your thing, you're presenting it in a certain way. So like only I can do my thing. So it's, it's kind of this cyclical thing, this, this back yeah. and forth. Yeah, definitely. You know, I spent so many years as a younger illustrator worrying about the people who I was influenced by, if they ever saw my work, if they'd be upset at me. And, and so now that I'm in my early forties, uh, I will say that if I, if I find someone's following my Instagram and their work is starting to look eerily familiar. You know, I, I'm very patient with young artists right now when it comes to this kind of stuff, because I remember what it was like, you know, there was a time when I had folders on my desktop, on my computer that was just like, 
each artist and, and specific illustrations that I was just like really inspired by. Yeah. And I hope that, um, well, I, I have to say that also I wasn't the most talented artist. So, I, you know, for me, it's like, even if I was trying to rip someone off, I was probably unsuccessful anyway. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, oh, it's really trying to like, you know, bite this style, but instead it just looks like some crappy illustration, you know? Right, right. Um, but, but the thing is, um, there are a lot of illustrators out there, young illustrators who are really good at imitation. And, you know, unless they're just straight up copying someone, like I'm, I'm pretty like, you know, understanding what young artists are going through because especially nowadays, there's so much of a hustle to like get your work seen by an art director and to get contacted back. And, you know, the, the rates are going down and down compared to like, you know, the cost of living. Mm -hmm. And so I can't blame a young artist for doing what they can to just get seen and, and figuring out your style on top of trying to make a living can be really stressful. I mean, like I said, though, all that said, I'm not telling anyone to rip off anyone either because you know <laughs> style is pretty sacred you know you you want you want to hold on to your style but at some point it's hard not to be derivative in the art world because you're just bombarded with visuals constantly and it's, it's hard not to be inspired it, yeah. is that is that similar to like comedians in that it's like you ripped off my joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I, I would, uh, I would say that ripping off a joke in illustration would be like, um, taking someone's concept, you okay. know? Um, because I think concept is almost more important than style because, you know, style is a really hard thing to, um, to, you know, I don't know. It's hard to have a totally unique style because I can't tell you one illustrator who just came up with their style on their own without looking at other artists first, you know, everyone's influenced by someone, but a concept, you know, a unique thought that that's like, you know, worth its way in golden illustration. If you come up with a really clever idea and then you see someone else use it like a few weeks later for a different magazine, yeah. you get really upset because when you, when you think of that idea, it's like, you have this epiphany. It's like the clouds part and like light shines down on you. And then to like see someone else take it, um, it feels pretty bad, but also, it's always worth a dialogue first, though. Before you get mad and you take to Facebook and yeah. you know, Twitter or Instagram and say, this person's like a thief and all that, I think it's always good to contact the artist and to find out if it was just like a coincidence because that happens too. There's, sometimes there's only so many solutions to, uh, to a problem and, and you know, sometimes great minds think alike and you just happen to come upon it at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so speak on, if you will. Uh, um, so I'll put it this way. I, I watched um, recently, I watched Goodfellas and uh, rewatched Goodfellas for um, a podcast research. And um, there's this one scene where it's towards the end of the movie where they're trafficking. Well, the, the babysitter's trafficking the, the, the drugs or what have you. And she was like, I need my special hat. I won't fly without my special hat. So for you to get into your creative mindset, and huh. what is your special hat? What, what is that thing that you need? That's a good question. My special hat. I think uh, a TV. I can't do work without the TV on. I need something. I need some noise. And, you know, I've tried audiobooks. I've tried Spotify, playlists, all that. Yeah. I just need some really stupid TV in the background. Just, just some show that I've seen a million times, like, like Bob's Burgers or like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or yeah, something. Yeah. I just need something that um, I watched so much over the years that I can have it on the background. I can visualize it in my head while I'm working. 
but kind of just know it's there. Um, if, if I don't have a TV, like, you know, there's times where I'm traveling and I have to work on the road and I'm in a hotel room. And if, if that hotel doesn't have some way for me to hook up some kind of like Roku or some kind of device where I can listen to, you know, my stories, then then I'm, I, I won't be able to be productive. You know, I need something on the background while I work, or I just, I just end up just getting lost in my own head and nothing gets done. I think it's the uh, ADHD in me. I just, I just, I'll start to give a million different things, but if I have background noise and my drawing tablet in front of me, I can, I can get a lot of work done. I can work for like 15 hours straight if I have that combination. That's, that's kind of what I need to sleep actually. Like I've gotten to that spot where my partner, she put me on to watching Columbo. Uh-huh. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and I'll see how Peter Falk's hair has changed over the decades. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. this guy did it. This is how he did it. Yeah, the hair changes, but the trench coat stays the same. Absolutely. Right? That's, that, yep. that's a philosophy for my life, actually. Uh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I need to sleep or some yep. some anime that I've seen or even uh-huh. um, now because of Peacock, I'll go back and watch like old like Attitude Era WWE. And uh-huh somehow I can fall asleep to like simulated violence. It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, but there's no shame in that. I have to say, you know, we all have our shows. Um, Peacock, I got really scared when the office left Netflix. So I was like, what am I going to do? Because I, I, I saw this article that um, describes people with anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. They like to watch the same shows over and over again because it sort of like creates a safe place for them. Yeah. Like it's just like constant, something that you can control, you know? So um, that made so much sense because whenever I'm not feeling well, I put on the office and that's like, that kind of brings me back to home base. And so um, when I found out the Peacock was going to be running it, I was like, well, that makes sense now. It's an NBC show. They probably took it off Netflix so they could have it for themselves on, on Peacock. But I have to say, I still watch the office every night to go to bed. I, I set on my sleep timer on my, on my TV because my wife hates the TV being on. Um, she like can't sleep with it on. So we have a compromise. We'll be like, if I can't fall asleep in the next like half hour, then it's on me. I'll just put it on my phone and put it under my pillow and listen to it. Maybe <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, you have to have your routines, right? Yeah. Especially people with anxiety. You know, you have to have that that constant, you know, that 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 regular routine that that keeps you centered. I guess so. Uh, for me, it's, it's the Office or Bob's Burgers every night to fall asleep. I dig sure. it. I dig it. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, so you, you spoke about young artists and real, real quick, speak on uh, like maybe fostering creativity from the standpoint of, do you think it's something that someone is, is born with or do you think cre- uh, creativity is generally cultivated as something that is, you may not have it when you start off with, but you know, it's something that you can, you can be great. At a, yeah. Well, you know, um, I've, I've had this discussion with my students a lot over the years because um, a lot of what, what I would teach would involve um, coming up with concepts, you know, brainstorming ideas. And a lot of students, if they're not used to sort of a, um, a process for creating uh, concepts, it can be really stressful, you know, because the more stressed out you get, the harder it is to think. Um, you know, we touched on anxiety earlier. For me, the more anxious I am, the less I can think straight. You know, I think of a million things at once and that can really hurt the, um, the creative, you know, uh, process for, for coming up with ideas. So, um, what I tell people is, you know, there's, there's people of course who are born with a, a, 
higher level of creative thinking mm -hmm. uh, than other people. You know, some people are good at math. Some people are good at, at writing, you know, uh, uh, creatively. Some people are better at, you know, a whole number of different things. So, you know, there's different kinds of intelligence. And of course, there's some people who are born with a higher level of creative thinking, but that doesn't mean that you can't learn how to think more creatively either. It's just like anything else. If you have to find the process that works best for you. And one thing I would work with, with my students was finding out how they work best because, um, you know, I, I had, there were times where, um, I had my students working with, uh, art directors, like from like Newsweek or the Atlantic or Washington post. And, um, some of those deadlines are really quick. Like I think one Newsweek job I, I had my students work on was like a two day turnaround. So obviously they can't contact the art director at like midnight to kind of brainstorm an idea. So I said, look, this is, this is not what I usually do, but here's my cell number. I will, I will answer calls off business hours. Usually my, uh, my quote unquote office hours as a teacher would be like nine to five, you know, but, uh, sometimes I'd be like, okay, if we're working on this tight deadline and you need to just talk out an idea to kind of flush things out, feel free to call me until like midnight, because after that, that's pretty much my breaking point. I can't stay up after that. But it's like, if you need to just talk out some ideas, because I want to make sure that, you know, every student has the ability to figure out what their process is, because once you crack that code, then it becomes so much easier to think of ideas in the future. You know, for me personally, like my creative process involves uh, thinking of symbolism, you know, thinking of um, different things that I could attach to a concept or a narrative. Like uh, an example was um, there was uh, after uh, Trump had that meeting with Kim Jong-un uh, in, uh, in the, I, th I think they met at the DMZ maybe, or uh, I forget exactly where the meeting place was, but um, people were saying that they were rolling out the red carpet for Kim Jong-un. Yeah. And, you know, uh, as an illustrator, I wasn't trying to politicize my, my feelings about that. I, I have a lot I can say about Trump, trust me. But, uh, but you know, I, I was just trying to figure out, okay, how do I illustrate rolling out the red carpet for, uh, for Kim Jong-un? So I thought, okay, it's about the United States and their diplomatic relations. So I thought, okay, United States, uh, the U.S. flag is the symbol I most associate with, with this country. Yeah. So I figured, okay, what on, what on the flag can I use to create like another object to kind of like turn it around to make it something else. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, the red stripe looks like a red carpet. Right. So what I did was I just tilted the flag to make it look like it's the floor. And I had one of the stripes rolling out, you know, like sort of like mid roll yeah. with Kim Jong-un standing in front of it because I was like, okay, now I can take one thing and change the whole meaning of it to mean something else. So I think that's kind of how my creative process works. Let's see. Uh, let's speak on accomplishments real quick. Sure. You've got a great client list, obviously, um, been, been doing your thing and you've, uh, you have your background in, um, in music, obviously, and in, in education. Um, so what would you say your, your biggest accomplishment in, in, in any of those fields would be? Um, well, I guess I could start with illustration. Um, I feel like my biggest accomplishment was probably getting my first assignment that to me was like the turning point for everything. You know, I, uh, I was actually still a student at Micah at the time, uh, an illustration major, mm -hmm. and I had an art show at the auto bar and, um, the art director, Joe McLeod from city paper was there, uh, shooting pole with his, uh, now wife, Wendy. And, um, my band was playing that night too. And, uh, after we played, he just came up to talk to me about my band. 
But then it's like, oh, you know, um, I'm actually, you know, just here playing my art opening. If you want to check out my art, it's on the wall too. I didn't know he was an art director. So he's like, oh, let's walk over there. Tell me about it. So I start talking about the, it was mostly, you know, rock posters. It's all autobar show posters. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that was actually my senior thesis at Micah. And uh, he's like, well, you know, um, th- this is like, you know, really cool. Um, this is like, you know, I think he mentioned pop art at the time. It kind of reminded him of that kind of comic book style. So I said, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I just, you know, I'm about to graduate as an illustrator, but I don't know if I can really even call myself an illustrator because I just do art for bands. So he's like, fuck that. That's illustration. That's like, you know, what you're drawing, it's like, that's it. You're telling a story in your art. That's, that's illustration. So he's like, you know, if, if you're up for it, um, we have a cover assignment coming up for the holiday guide. And I remember the year before they had Shepard Ferry do the cover. And this is, this is before the Obama hope poster. And I, well, there's a lot of other things I could go on about Shepard Ferry. I mean, um, I, I won't, I won't go into that, but, uh, um, um, but the thing is, uh, I was like, you know, he was like an artist who I'd been seeing for years and I thought, you know, to follow those footsteps, I don't know. It kind of scared me, but, um, Joe was awesome, really patient with me. And then we developed a really great working relationship, you know, invited him to my wedding. Uh, I played guitar at his wedding and, uh, he's like one, one of my, my favorite art directors I've ever worked with. And I just really value the patience he had with me as a young illustrator, you know, because looking at some of those illustrations, I was definitely still learning as I was going, you know, yeah. but, uh, yeah, he was great. Um, another accomplishment though, I have to say, I went, I feel bad if I went through this without mentioning, um, my rep agency, when they signed me, um, it's the best group of people, you know, uh, um, uh, Kataranjad and Christina Snyder, mm-hmm. um, it's Snyder, New York, it, based in New York. Um, when they first contacted me, I wasn't sure about signing with a rep agency, but that turned out to be one of my favorite, you know, decisions of my life because they've been the most supportive group of people. And they like, I feel like they're an extension of me. They, they always treat clients really well. And, and if it wasn't for them, there's so many awesome jobs I would never have gotten. I don't think so. Uh, so that, that was like a big turning point, I think in my career. Fantastic. That was fantastic. Um, I'm actually going to look them up too. <laughs> uh, so um, I have a few more questions. Uh, sure. Let's see. One is going to be nineties television. You touched on Buffy. So I'm going to need two more from you, two more guilty pleasure nineties uh, <laughs> TV shows. And um, so if you could hit me off with those real quick. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start by saying this. There is no guilty pleasure for me because I have no shame in how awful my taste in, in, in TV is. Um, there's no such thing as guilt. But Buffy, I guess if, I, if I'm judging on, on the standards of society, then I will say that I should feel guilty about this, maybe. But I, I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I, uh, I started watching it when I had mono in, like, 2002. And I couldn't get off the couch. So um, one of the only channels that came in was FX. So I just watched Buffy like all day, every day. And, and I just like, I love that show so much. It's just so goofy at times. <laughs> and, but I think her character was just amazing. You know, I, I loved Buffy and, and I'll add Angel as a sort of like offshoot. I'll combine them into one show, I guess. That universe. <laughs> yeah, that whole universe, you know. I've heard some pretty terrible things about Joss Whedon, though, too. So um, I definitely don't support him, but I will support, you know, those shows because <laughs> the shows were awesome. Um, uh, also, my wife gives me crap about this all the time, but every now and then I'll just start watching Dawson's Creek. It's the worst show ever. And I acknowledge that's the worst show. 
But I, that's almost why I like to watch it because it's just so stupid. And even James Vanderbeek admits how bad that show was. <laughs> like, he, um, one of the shows I love is this show called Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. Yeah. Uh, Kristen Ritter, James Vanderbeek plays himself on the show and is always making fun of himself for Dawson's Creek. So I feel like that's okay. And um, another show that uh, every couple of years I watch the whole show in its entirety is uh, Family Matters. That's I fucking love Family Matters. Like, I, even when Steve Urkel was cloning himself and going into space and all that stuff, I love them all, every single episode. <laughs> I mean, it's like, that's a show where... You know how, like, on The Simpsons, Homer got dumber and dumber as the show went on? Yeah. I feel like with Family Matters, it just got more and more just bonkers as, as time went on. <laughs> it's just, like, you know, between cloning himself and then I think uh, Carl at one point got the DNA of Bruce Lee so he could fight a group of, uh, a group of criminals. Yeah. I, it's just weird. I mean, and there's some stuff that definitely hasn't aged well. Oh. I, mean, I mean, 90s shows, definitely. There's some episodes where, like, okay – they need to be called out for, for that episode or this episode, yeah. but, but it's just some of those episodes, it's like we were talking about earlier. They're just kind of comforting too, because those were the shows I watched when I was like, you know, in high school and wasn't going on dates. And I, I was just staying at home watching like TGIF on, on TV and it brings back some good and bad memories, I guess. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, uh, going, going back to the, 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 that comforting television, like for me, uh, you know, it was a period where I was just in the crib, um, solo dolo, unemployed. And I was yeah. like, the, and nothing on my walls, right? And I started doing this yeah. painting thing, but I had nothing on my walls. So I was like, this is almost a padded cell in, in, in some respects. And yeah. um, I, I was like, all right, I'm just going to watch like Disney Channel. And I fell in love with the whole setup. I was like, this is calming. This is chill. Sweet life, Zach and Cody, let's go. Let's get it. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, yeah, it's the kind of stuff that you're like, okay, I can't relate to this at all. But it's just like, you know what you're going to get with it. You know, yeah. there was a time when I was, I, I think it's around 2000, I was living by myself in this little apartment in Silver Spring. And this is, you know, I had no cable. You couldn't stream stuff on the internet back then. Yeah. So um, I had a VCR and I used to work at Tower Records and they used to give me free promo uh, videos. Yeah. So this is my, my video collection at the time. I had She's All That. I had uh, American Pie, Jay and Silent Bob Strike yeah. Back. Um, and let's see, what else was what else was one of the ones I used to watch a lot too? Let's see. Good Vanderbeek oh, in that one, by the way. <laughs> What's that? Oh, oh, what's, what's that? Good Vanderbeek in that one, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah. Vanderbeek was in that one too, yeah. playing himself again. Yeah. Um. Oh man. And oh, oh, the other one, I can't remember the name of this movie. I should remember this. Chris Klein played, and he played a guy who fell in love with a um, Heather Graham, and it turns out they thought they were brother and sister, but huh. apparently, spoiler alert, they weren't. I guess. But I had that on 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 uh, video too. I think I had a crush on Heather Graham. Say it isn't so. Life. Boom. It isn't so. You're right. Yeah, that's it. And that movie was pretty terrible, objectively <laughs> terrible. But I watched it so much because it's all I had. Yeah. Because um, one thing about me is like when I was a little kid, I had terrible insomnia. Like from the time I was like eight years old till I was about 24, I would just stay up all night. And I don't know how I functioned the next day, but I just could never sleep. Yeah. So um, when I was a kid, I used to watch the Home Shopping Network because it was the only thing that was on at like three in the morning. Yeah. But when I got a VCR, I was like, wow, this is a game changer. Now I can watch 
terrible movies all <laughs> night, every night. So I think I watched those movies on repeat. Like if I watched She's All That today, yeah. I could quote every single line just because I just watched it so many times and I didn't even like the movie, but I just, <laughs> I just had it. So, so I guess that would be like a guilty nineties movie pleasure. Maybe. Oh, I don't know. Me. But yeah. And also Rachel Lee Cook, she was in Dawson's Creek. See, it's, yeah. it's just, it's just full circle there. It is. It all comes around. Yeah. Cause uh, yeah, like definitely the, the TGI Friday, I, I remember every now and again on the other pod, we would do this, um, nostalgic thing and we just found ourselves singing the theme from uh perfect strangers because <laughs> it was oh, just man, like I watched that joke so much when i was a kid like oh man that and uh and uh what was it there was even do you remember a show like well do you remember the old fox lineup when it first started too like 21 jump street uh-huh. and, yeah yeah uh, yeah, like uh, there was a show with um, Joy Louise Dreyfus, and I forget what it was about. It was called Duets. And huh. uh, I remember, I, I just remember her. I don't remember anything else. But yeah, that was the days of like Married with Children, the Gary Shandling show. But um, I have to say, a guilty 80s flusher is definitely 21 Drum Street, though. I have watched that show on repeat. In fact, um, one of my uh, former interns, who's an amazing artist, her name is Kirstie Hamburg, everyone should always check out her art because it's amazing. Um, but there was one year where we were working together uh, during the summer. She was a former student of mine. And I feel so bad because I just had 21 Jump Street on all the time. And I really hope she didn't like totally hate it. But I just, I couldn't stop watching. It was like one of those shows I just like needed in the background while I worked. Yeah. And, and I have to admit, I still watch it. It's the storylines are ridiculous, of course, but, but, you know, there's some, there's some stuff on that show that holds up today though. I mean, I think some of those 80s shows, I think, you know, there's some shows that don't touch on those subjects nowadays that maybe they should. I mean, they were talking about things back then that were like pretty, you know, pretty modern in terms of issues, you know, social issues. Absolutely. And, um, you know, like I, like I was saying about Columbo earlier, I was like watching it. I was like, this is a PG rated show. He's like, <laughs> it was this one episode that has the second appearance. Cause the, the bit that my, my, my girlfriend and I do is, uh, like which villain we always go by what villain. And it's yeah. like, it's the second episode that has George Hamilton in it. And yep. it's just like, yeah, you were in that skin flick. I was like, what? <laughs> And yeah. Oh man. Well, you know, sometimes even Bob's Burgers will say things. I'm just like, well, this is definitely not a kid's cartoon, you know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's like you know, there's shows that I'll just watch from the first season till the last season. Yeah. I do that a lot. I always have to have some show. I'm always just watching the whole series. And sometimes I'll be like, wow, this was a long time ago, but they're still talking about things that mean a lot today, you know. And sometimes it, it's it makes me sad because it shows you how little things have changed too, you know. Like, um, I mean, there's storylines that are just like, well, that's what we're still talking about this after like 30 years or, or more than 30 years, you know, and it makes you feel like that, you know, maybe society doesn't move as fast as we would like it to, but yeah. Yeah. So the last question I have, and this is the, this is the, almost the de facto Baltimore question. Um, so if you're having someone visit as we're opening up, you have someone visit, we're giving out itineraries. Yep. <laughs> You're having someone visit Baltimore for a long weekend. We have one coming up while we're recording this. Uh, where would you tell them to check out, you know, maybe a food place, maybe a place for some culture, music, something like that. Yeah. Where would you tell them to check out and why? Oh man, this could, this could be a long answer. Let me warn you. Um, Cause I think it all depends on who the person is. You know, I definitely would want to get a sense of like, 
what they enjoy. But if it was someone who has like similar interests to me, I would definitely say like for food, uh, there's so many good places in Hamden. You know, I I'd say if, if you're vegan, you know, you could go to golden West. They have a lot of good options. Um, <coughs> or, uh, one cafe, um, for my favorite place in Hamden is Grano, the pasta bar. Yeah. I just, sometimes I just want a simple bowl of pasta because their sauces are amazing. So I'd say, um, or food market, there's some really good like sandwiches there. They have something called the fast food market on the weekends where they do their version of fast food, which is pretty amazing. Um, for, for art museums, you know, you can't go wrong with like the Walters and BMA, but also the American Visionary Museum, that place is amazing. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, you'll see stuff there that you won't see anywhere else. And, uh, that, and a lot of like uniquely Baltimore things to see too. Um, let's see, uh, for music, uh, definitely go to the auto bar. They're opening up again soon. Uh, there's always a good show there every night or a DJ night. Uh, my favorite place is, uh, to, to play music is the sidebar though. That's been my spot for like, uh, man, how many years I've been playing there since 2004, I think, or even, no, even before 2004, honestly, since maybe 2003 and i love the sidebar um one night uh my wife and i went to see the dandy warhols uh at uh ramshead and um afterwards uh, they were signing posters i i made for them for their album and they're like what are we doing next i was like oh i didn't think about that so i took it to the sidebar and we all just like hung out at the sidebar and they're like dancing on the bar and it was just like a really awesome just Baltimore night. That's cool. Um, also books, atomic books. Of course, I tell someone if you want some comics or you want some like graphic novels or anything else, you can go to atomic. They, they have a bar in the back. Hopefully they'll be opening soon, you know, after the pandemic and yeah, their bar is called the eight bar. It's awesome. You get to talk to the owners about anything and it's just a really great place. They have, they have like nights where they invite authors to come speak too. So that would be like in a nutshell, like, kind of Baltimore synopsis, but there's a lot of stuff I'm sure I'm missing too. I mean, you're hitting the, the key points, uh, that that's very similar to what I, um, what I tend to do. Uh, I, I recall, um, not too long ago, um, when things were still open, just hanging out in, uh, atomic and when then the back bar was still open and just having something from, uh, Stillwater artisanal, it was this, um, tangerine beer and we were just shooting the shit with uh, the person back there and we, we were there for probably two hours and I was like this yeah. is great and I was like we just literally did nothing but it was a very chill and great experience Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah that's, that, I look for those things I think um, for one's itinerary you're coming here just, just come here and do nothing <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I, um, I'm always bummed out when some of my friends come to visit and they can't stay for very long because yeah. I'm like, there's so much I want to show you. Like, um, another one of my favorite art directors ever is, uh, my art director at Newsweek, uh, Michael Gozo. Mm -hmm. Like, um, him and his uh, partners come to visit sometimes. Um, but usually coming through town and it sucks because there's, they're, they're, they're never here for very long. I'm like, I'm like, you've got to visit for like a week. Let's just like do fun things for like a week, go <laughs> to different places. But, um, we usually can only just end up getting food, but next time though, I've got some stuff planned for, for the next like longer stay for like him and a bunch of my other friends who are going to be visiting shortly when the pandemic is over. Absolutely. I just, I cannot wait to see friends again. So I can take <laughs> them to all my favorite places in the city. Yeah.
Yeah. And um, I think it's going to be great because uh, I got a lot. My social calendar has been filling up because uh, people I've been doing and, and connecting with through this podcast are like, when are we hanging out? I was like, soon. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so um, thank you so much. Um, shameless plug time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, your social media website, all of that good stuff. And I actually was on your Snyder uh, page and I'm seeing the, the Migos work was is fire, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was for Atlanta magazine. That, that whole package was so much fun. You know, um, um, yeah, like uh, social media is um, I can't even tell you what my Facebook is. If you just search out, it's fine. There's not there's not many of us on Facebook. Um, actually, I might be getting rid of my Facebook and my Twitter soon, but um, I might just have Instagram and that's it. But my Instagram is just uh, at Alex Fine Illos. Uh, that's I L O O S, and uh, that's the same for my Twitter. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean that's pretty much the best way to find me. Also, if you go to SnyderNewYork.com, you'll see my portfolio page and a ton of other amazing artists on there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, also thanks for listening to my rambling. Sometimes I, you know, being cooped up for like, I don't know, it feels like 20 years since this all started. Like whenever I get to talk to somebody, I just talk about a minute and, and like, you know, I used to try to play it cool when I do podcasts or interviews. Now I'm just like, whatever, I'm just going to nerd out about whatever it is I'm talking about. So thanks for indulging my, my, I don't know, spazziness or I don't, know, I don't know what the right term for it is no you you were great this has been a lot of fun um so i'll do my sign off and again thank you uh, for for coming on to the podcast so uh, thank you for alex fun i'm rob lee saying that there's art in and around baltimore you just gotta look for it <laughs> <laughs>